So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership, and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hi there, and welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. We're in for a real treat. I hope that you and your family are well and that your work is proving to be hugely rewarding at the moment as we head towards the end of a really challenging year. I want to just mention a quick congrats to the England cricket team on winning their T20 World Cup. It was an incredible performance. And yet again, that man, Ben Stokes, was able to stand there and withstand the pressure and lead his team home. And Adil Rashid, Sam Curran were also amazing. So they truly deserve their crown. I've been flat out for the last couple of weeks developing and delivering loads of different events for clients, whether it was workshops or keynotes. And it seems like there were lots of core themes around resilience and well-being, trying to cope to the end of this exhausting year, but also some really interesting leadership themes around emotional intelligence and innovation. And when we're trying to set up with a new business model or a new creative idea, we've got to learn some of these new skills about networking and driving collaboration in a new way. So it's been really interesting to see how we could inspire some of our clients to think differently and use storytelling and use their purpose and use the diversity across their networks and businesses to drive more creativity and innovation. I'm planning to take a decent break in December, but if you do need any support for your business to get off to a flyer in 2023, then just shout and let's reserve a date for a webinar, a workshop or a keynote. Remember that you can get hold of me via hello at sportingedge.com and I really look forward to supporting you. I also wanted to say massive thanks to everyone who's left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I know it seems trivial and a bit of a hassle, but it genuinely helps people to find the show and let it stand out and shows that it's making an impact for people if it's rated highly and got lots of engagement around it. So if you can help to make the show stand out and grow the show, then I'd love you to hit that five-star review rating. Well, today's guest definitely gets five stars from me. I caught up with him recently and he was so generous with his ideas and his insights. Here's a taster of what's to come. Yeah, well, I think like potentially most kids out of New Zealand, um, you know, we grow up with a ball in our hand, really. Know who you are and be who you are. Don't try to be anyone else because being authentic. If you're not, people will see right through that. I think to get consistency and, and those great players that you see around the world and in different sports, um, they've got great discipline, they've got great focus. 
And so, yeah, that's what I see in high-performing teams. It's um, in unison, everyone nailing their role, and, and you've got timing. Um, you can kind of see it when, when it's happening. And for us as All Blacks, it is the thing that um, unites us. It's the thing that grounds us. It's the thing that when we do our haka, it's, it's what we're looking for. We're not imparting on the opposition. We're grounding ourselves with our ancestors, with those All Blacks who have been before us. So that's the voice of one of the most respected captains in world sport. It's the All Blacks, Kieran Reid. He wore the All Blacks number eight jersey with pride between 2008 and 2019 and became the fourth most capped player in the team's history. He was renowned for his work rate and athleticism and scored 26 tries in his career. In 2013, he was voted as the International Player of the Year as well. And in 2016, he took over the captaincy from the legendary Richie McCaw and went on to lead the All Blacks 52 times, including a world record-breaking spell of 18 wins in a row. Given Kieran's stellar career, I was expecting him to have been nurtured as a champion from birth on a heady cocktail of vitamins and weight training protocols before school. But as we listened to Kieran, that's not exactly how it happened. Yeah, well, I think like potentially most kids out of New Zealand, um, you know, we grew up with ball in our hand, really. Um, and I was fortunate, my parents, so we lived in South Auckland, Papakura. We lived in a cul-de-sac, um, which is a dead-end street. And um, basically, after every school day on the weekends, we'd pile out into the street or get kicked out onto the street. And, you know, different families would congregate there. And, and you know, it just was the way it was. It was cricket, it was uh, frisbee, we played inline hockey. Heaps of different sports, anything that was really available, um, you know, with our mates. Um, so it was kind of, that was where my, I guess, I got into sport um, in terms of rugby and, and probably formal sports and cricket and stuff. Uh, I've got an older brother who's a couple years older than me. So uh, he was six at the time. He signed up to play rugby and I was four. And I obviously said to my parents, put my hand up, said, hey, you can't play if I'm not playing. So that's when I first started playing rugby at the age of four um, in the same team as my older bro. So um, it was, uh, you know, just one of those things that seemed to be a big part of our life um, from a very early age. Um, and it was, you know, just an awesome childhood to, to live. My older bro, Gareth, he was, uh, you know, kind of an inspiration and a motivation for myself, um, most definitely. Um, you know, you wouldn't say in those early years that we got on a lot. I think it was a source of definite competitiveness for me um, and as a source for him to be able to beat me up when he could, you know, so always wanted to try and uh, hold my own. Um, but just having that drive, I think, as a, as a youngster to try and really push myself and play against him and his mates and, you know, those older guys, uh, you know, really helped me out, I guess, as you move on and, and progress into, you know, into life as professional sportsmen. Um, you know, I think I look back to it, um, my dad and, and what he had, his um, impact on me as a, as a young fellow was, was huge. Um, you know, he'd take us, and mum would take us to every sporting um, code that we could, you know, be involved in. And um, I showed a little bit of ability early on, made a few rep teams, and um, he was never a father to, to criticise or, or critique my performance. It was more a case of, um, and the ride home, he'd be silent and, you know, I'd be always, you know, expecting something out of him. But no, it was his, um, his support was being there, you know, it was, it was taking me there. It was 
okay, um, you know, I'm going to help you on your journey. Um, and there's more technical and specialized people that are going to, you know, really do that. So I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, and so his way of helping me was, if I got bored at home, was go outside, hit 100 balls against, um, you know, the wall, or go past a rugby ball with your brother, or if he'd come out and he'd throw balls at me um, with cricket or, or rugby. So that was his way, um, you know, of really helping me and showing me a bit of a work ethic, I think, from a young age. Well, that dead-end street sounds like an amazing place to grow up to me, testing your skills out across a range of different sports every season and competing against mixed age groups where Kieran was desperate to match his neighbours and his elder brother, signing up for local teams and scrapping to get noticed. I also was interested to hear that Kieran's description of his mum and dad's support couldn't be further from some of the touchline rage that we see in some parents these days. They're so frustrated with their own careers being stunted that they need their kids to excel to give them status and they scream and abuse the referees for not giving their little Johnny a chance to excel. In contrast, here's one of the world's best sporting champions and his parents were selfless, patient and supportive. Just what young talent needs to enjoy their sport and to flourish. I was keen to explore when Kieran's leadership skills were honed. And when we caught up, he explained that he'd first excelled in cricket and his leadership was noticed there as a captain. But gaining the confidence to play and lead rugby came later. And I was surprised that his confidence wasn't there earlier on. Yeah, it took me a very long time. Like I never actually felt I was a natural leader um, when I was younger, um, especially in the rugby space, because like, that's where I, I moved forward into you know, um, playing professionally. And cricket, I, I captained teams and I was confident in teams, probably because I was one of the better players in rugby. Um, yep, in my club team, I was, I was a, one of the better players, but when I moved into rep teams and things, I was just this kid from um, kind of a school, a nobody school, it wasn't a rugby school, it wasn't anything. Um, so I always kept quiet, I always kind of just um, watched and listened, you know. Um, and so I never really had a conf confidence in my own ability. Um, for a long time and it, it took a lot of coaches belief in, in me to, to really bring it out I think that was pretty key and it, and it you know it did take me a long time you know I, I did captain my first 15 but we literally had one first 15 in our school um, you know we had one team one rugby team and out of 2,000 kids so um, you know as I said it wasn't a specialized sports school um, it was more of a case of you got to earn it um, and if you've got something you work for it um, and that's kind of another, I guess, value that um, was instilled in me. So we can hear our second ingredient that created this champion, the work ethic to earn your stripes, to take your opportunities and prove that you can do it in a highly competitive environment. Many rugby players like cricketers come from exclusive schools, which are renowned for their junior squads feeding up to their first 11 or first 15 which is celebrated. But Kieran had a different pathway. His leadership emerged not through privilege and status, but through his ability to connect authentically with others and to lead from the front. His entry into professional rugby saw these leadership characteristics grow as they met more opportunities. Yeah, look, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard to describe your own style of leadership. It's for others, I guess, to know exactly what it is. But for me, it's 
um, leadership based on being empathetic. It's, it's based on getting to know my, my people. Um, and then from there, it's holding people to account, um, trying to have a, a big presence in the team. Um, so they're probably the three things that I feel like my leadership was based on. It was empathy, it was a presence and accountability. Um, and, you know, I had some great captains to look up to and, and great coaches that helped me along the way. Um, and Richie McCaw is a prime example, you know, like um, I was um, under him, under his captaincy for, you know, a big chunk of my career. Um, and he's going to go down probably as the greatest captain of all time. But when I was named captain, um, there's no way I could captain like him because we're different people, you know. So um, I think I learned a pretty cool lesson early on. Um, you know, one of, my, one of my early years captaining our provincial team, Canterbury, um, I was named as a young guy, 22, 23 years old. Um, yeah, 22 to, to captain our side, and we had guys who had played over 50 games. We had, you know, 30-year-olds and what have you in this, in this team. And um, I quickly learned that it's not about me imparting what I think a leader should be. It was a case of just being myself. And, and at that stage, for me, it was all about how I played and it was more less about what I spoke about because I didn't truly believe you know, in that. And as if I projected something um, to the team you know, without truly believing what it was, then they can pick up on that. So you know, it was quite a, quite a good lesson and I got some great help that year. Um, that, you know, fast forward eight years later when I was named captain of the All Blacks, I've been through a lot of experiences. Um, I'd captained the All Blacks for 10 times, I think, um, before I was named the official captain. Um, and I had all these different experiences to fall back on. Um, so yeah, I think it's a case of definitely understanding who you are. It's one of probably the, the biggest thing that I talk about to any person is know who you are and be who you are. Don't try to be anyone else because being authentic, if you're not, people will see right through that. Imagine having to follow the great Richie McCaw as leader. It would have been easy to try and copy him and speak and act in the same way. But Kieran's drive to be authentic was greater than his drive to be liked. And having the courage to lead in a way that felt natural to him paid huge dividends. In some of the leadership programmes that we run at Sporting Edge, we ask delegates to describe their own leadership style in three words. And then we get them to ask their team to describe them in three words as well. And we sometimes see a real difference between a leader who perhaps thinks they were pace setting, supportive and inspirational. And I remember this example of a team thinking that this guy was controlling, micromanaging and lacked vision. So it's really important that we get this self-awareness, that we're able to relax into this natural style, but we need to understand what it is. And authenticity doesn't just mean unleashing a fully concentrated version of yourself on people. It's about being aware and skillful about how you're deploying your strengths and various attributes to make an impact with those around you. Kieran knew that he was adept at a combination of building strong one-to-one -one relationships and leading from the front. And having had plenty of opportunities to test various styles and strengths, he came through all the age groups. He was now ready to step into one of the biggest teams in the world. Like any human being, it was at this stage that Kieran had some doubts. But his story about the power of coaching gives us an amazing insight into the days leading into his first game for New Zealand. 
A great coach for me uh, knows his players and he can connect with each individual, um, I believe. Um, he knows what button to push. He knows how to get the best out of them. And so for me, the ones that did that, you know, had connection. Um, I spoke about Robbie Deans. He was a master at it. Steve Hansen as well. Um, you know, his intuitiveness um, as a coach was amazing because you knew he cared about you. So, you know, he could say what he could say because, hey, he, he genuinely cared about you and you knew that as a player. So my first interaction um, with Steve really was a one-on-one -on -one meeting before my first game for the All Blacks. You know, as a young guy, you're pretty nervous in, in, the, in the team environment, in the hotel, you know, you're walking down the hallway to have a meeting with your coach and had all my um, skills I was going to improve on and work on my book and he just said shut the book and he, he told me he said look Kieran like I'm here to help make you get better you're going to be a hundred test all black um, and you're going to be a great leader that's his exact words of what he said to me and it's like so you know for he knew a button to push for me right from the outset um, and man I was like blown away I guess a little bit in hindsight of what he could see um, before I could see it myself but so yeah, I just think a leader knows their people um, and, and knows what the best way is to get, get out of those people. How good is that? We've got a green, nervous rookie coming into the camp for the first time and the coach says, trust yourself, you're good enough and you're going to excel. I don't think that was just positive reinforcement. I'm sure the coaches had seen what Kieran was capable of. But that five minutes of pure empathy and transformational coaching has stayed with Kieran ever since. And I'm wondering, how can we have the same level of empathy for the emotion going around our team? Maybe we've got new starters. Maybe we've got people who are frustrated. And if we can just be present with them in that moment and try and understand what it's like for them and say the right thing in the right way at the right time, it can have an equally transformational result. Confidence is a key mental skill for high performers, but equally self-awareness is so valuable as well. And especially when the pressure starts to rise, we need to understand the kind of triggers that make us angry and could make us boil over because this could be really detrimental to our own and our team's performance. So we've got to have those strategies to help us to become aware of it and bring ourselves back down to a simmer. Having worked with international cricket teams and Premier League soccer teams and international rugby, it was really interesting for me to see the difference because for cricket and football, it was much more about trying to bring the players down from an emotional high, getting them to calm down and think clearly to read the field. But when I worked with England rugby, there was definitely this need to balance that with this peak intensity, this physicality that they needed, especially the forwards, to be able to make the big hits and deal in the scrums. So when you're on the edge, I was interested to hear how Kieran and the All Blacks had kept themselves from getting emotionally derailed. And they used a framework, which is really simple to follow, but so powerful that their psychiatrist, Kerry Evans, devised. Yeah, so pressure's an elite sport's gonna be there. And um, you know, every game I was involved in, I, I was faced with pressure in certain situations, and that comes in different, different things. Um, but yeah, Kerry Evans brought in you know, his way of looking at it, which was in the red head or the blue head. The red head's meaning it's your primitive brain where you know, you're just, um, I guess, surviving. Um, you're either fighting, you're 
your flight tends to get out of there or you're freezing, which is the worst thing that can happen on, on a rugby field. And the blue head, you're clear and calm. And you're making great decisions. Um, so I guess you want to just stay in the blue head as much as you can. Um, we're sprinkling a red in rugby because you've got to be able to be physical and, and hit people. So, um, yeah, it was, it was for me, it was a case of learning how quickly I could get from the red to the blue and understanding that initially, okay, recognising when you are in the red, which is really hard. And so generally there was cues. So after a mistake or after something put, put us under pressure, okay, let's have a look at myself. You know, what can I, am I in that situation or not? Um, and then I had two things um, that I did um, to get myself from the red to the blue, which was um, one was self-talk. Um, so I just had a really simple thing that I said to myself, which was um, next task, Kieran. And by saying that and saying my name, it just um, got me straight back. Um, and then another one where I wanted to be a bit more aware of what was happening and maybe if I was getting a bit insular, my attention had been narrowed. Um, I kind of looked up and, and stared into the far reaches of the stadium, you know, the two corners away. And so what they did immediately was bring your eyes up, you know, and you, you bring your eyes up, suddenly you're seeing a bigger picture. Um, you know, you're taking in different information from other people um, and resetting myself in, into a, you know, a clear and a, and a calm um, mind, you know, and then you can make better decisions you can help your mates out um you know you're not stuck in in your own and your own world so yeah it's and it takes time like that took time um like i wasn't you know good at the start of my career by the end of my career i could you know if i felt i was going in the red i could get back in the blue like that um but yeah it's uh, it's a tough skill to to work on um you know which is a challenge of of elite sport that's the great thing about it so this is a brilliant self-awareness and self-management tool. It's almost like a thermostat where the blue head is calm, rational and task focused, living in the moment. And then we've got the trigger. It could be the critical email from our boss, a supplier letting us down or our children answering us back when we're already stressed. And then we, the explosion takes place, our head's gone. And now we're in the red zone. And on the pitch, that's so dangerous it could cause a flying punch of retribution, or it could get us making a mistake that gets caught on camera, or a critical word back to the referee after a decision. And that could be a penalty. It could be a you know great opportunity and we could get sent off and uh, you know a major setback for our team. So these two strategies of self-talk, that helpful coaching in our own minds, taking control of that inner critical voice can definitely reduce the rage. And with some of the forwards I worked with, we were starting to think about, well, if the emotional escalation is coming from focusing on my opposite number after a late tackle or something that happened in the scrum or the mall, then their mindset might be saying, where's that guy? Where's that Blake? I'm going to you know, try and get my own back. And that's that emotionally charged vendetta. Whereas I was trying to say, OK, instead of looking for the guy, look for the ball. Where's the ball? And that's going to be much more rational and team focused. It's subtle, but if we can get into these habits of flicking back to what's right for the team and to stay in control, that definitely stops the red mist from rising. Similarly, Kieran's own strategy of being, you know, flicked out the back of a mall or thrown into the mud and then taking a quick breath before a line out or whatever it might be, just to get his bearings by looking up and out of the top of the stadium, I think is a really good way because we can almost imagine ourselves being haunched over a desk in the boardroom 
and someone says something to attack your strategy for next year's plans or whatever it might be. And we look down and we can almost feel that fireball rising within us. So we need to take a deep breath and imagine sort of glancing around the room or looking up. And that might give us a different perspective and just that ability to, to take a moment to calm down. Either way, as leaders, especially when we're under pressure, we need this skill of emotional control because there's always going to be a flashpoint and hard, harsh words can never be unsaid. So the management of ourselves under pressure is critical. When we're under pressure to deliver results in our workplace, whether we're in sport or business, we can often feel like we're panicking and we've got to do something special and out of the ordinary to achieve results. But actually, Kieran explains now that the elite performers rely on something very different. And perhaps we can take a lesson from this. Yeah, I think to get consistency and, and those great players that you see around the world and in different sports, um, they've got great discipline, they've got great focus. Um, and they, they've got an ability to, to turn up every week and, and perform. And you can say, oh, it's talent or they can just do it. But it's because of their discipline to do those little habits that they have in their routine and their preparation. They do it every week. Um, and so that, you know, for me as an athlete, I pride myself on being able to perform no matter what situation and be able to do that week in, week out. And it is, it's a case of um, genuinely, in, you know, in the, probably in the tougher moments or the bigger moments of things, you simplify. Um, you don't go for the big play, you go for um, the really simple stuff that you need to do well, those big rocks of your game. You know, for me on the field, it was getting off the line and, and hitting people or, you know, being really square in my attack and catching and passing and things like that. And that's all I had to worry about. Um, and then special things will flow off that. And then someone might make a big play or you might make a big play, but it's all come about because of that real discipline to just be focused on your role and, and just doing it really well. So, yeah, I think the key there is, you know, simplifying, don't go searching for things. Um, and those great players just, they do it over and over and again because there's a mental capacity to, to push themselves, not to, you know, oh, I'll take it easy this week or, you know, I'll skip that, that thing there in my prep because, oh, it's an easy game. No, hey, it's in there. I've got to do it. I'll go and I'll always nail it. So personal discipline, simplicity and focus are the holy grail when it comes to performing under pressure and being consistent over a long period. I think we often get misled by the media in their hunger to grab our attention. We see the flashy highlights, the big shot, the reverse pass, the funky offload in rugby. But those moments are the icing on the cake. They're not the cake. And we underplay the importance of the compound effect of long-term discipline. If we want to get fit, we need to do regular weights and exercise, and that won't transform our body in one or two sessions. But after 20 or 30 or 40 sessions over a few months, you'll definitely look and feel like a different person. When we save money every month into an account by direct debit in two to three years, that can be a startling amount, but it takes discipline and sacrifice. And the same is true of brilliant basics in our work, polite, generous relationships with our clients, attention to detail in our service delivery, weekly reviews of our products and improvements to nudge the overall quality up. This is how high performance has developed rather than these quick fixes. The elite performers never get bored, partly because 
they visualize this dream in technicolor of what they know they will feel like and how they'll be respected for delivering this high performance. But secondly, it's because this is how they judge themselves, not by their shiny outcomes, but by knowing that they had the character to do the right thing when the pressure was on. It's hard to do this alone without any nudges or inspiration. And that's why we set up our members club at Sporting Edge. Kieran's interview is the latest expert to share his strategies. And there's over 110 experts from sport, business, the performing arts, neuroscience and well-being, all captured in this digital library to give you these short two minute insights to build your discipline, your creativity and your innovation within your teams. We've got hundreds of executives around the world using the content so you can get access to it by visiting sportingedge.com and looking at the members club. And then if you set up your own personal account, you can activate a free month in the discount code box by using the code podcast 100. So you just apply that in the discount box and you'll get a free month's access. There's no commitment to pay for it. Just use the content. Go and take a look at Kieran's overall interview with all his different insights. I've just taken a selection here and I'm sure you'll absolutely love it. One of our clients called it Netflix for Leaders, and it's got loads of insights that you can use to inspire your teams. And also, if you'd like a bit of inspiration and to join me for an event in January, I'm going to be running an interactive online session called The Winning Mindset for 2023. And that's going to be on the 24th of January. So hopefully your diary isn't too packed straight away. And if you want to go to the show notes, there'll be a link to join that Zoom call. And I'm really hoping that we can get a good community of our podcast listeners on there. And I'll share some insights from our digital library. And also we can take some live questions from you to help you to get a fast start and smash the new year that comes our way. So let's get Kieran's thoughts on how important character is in our teams. There's a famous cultural criteria that the All Blacks use to make sure that people are putting the team first. Yeah, in the All Blacks, I think it's always been the case of we look for a team first mentality first ahead of any one individual. And I think that's come across as that whole no dickheads policy that, you know, um, was coined, I think, from Wayne Smith um, a long time ago. Um, and it, it rings true. Um, rugby especially is, is, a, is a sport that you require every individual 15, 23 now, or even 32 squad to play their role and to play it to the absolute ability um, of their ability, you know, to, to ensure that you get the result in the end of the day. Like if that one person doesn't do that, um, the whole thing topples over. And so, you know, a case of better people make better All Blacks is the other phrase to, to do, which is applicable. Um, and so not everyone's, it doesn't mean that you, you know, you stop people being themselves. Like you need individuals, you need that difference of opinion and all that, because that creates, you know, um, differences and, and more voice and better voice. Um, but, you know, it's a case of, hey, you're, you're in this environment, um, be a better person and you'll probably play better because of it. The humility of the senior All Blacks players sweeping the sheds, as they call it, or the changing rooms at the end of the match is another example of how they don't let each other get too big for their boots. Rugby calls for physical and emotional sacrifice and selflessness. So this cultural driver is not only good for recruiting and inducting the next wave of players, but it's also a great way to reinforce 
that the culture needs the team to come first when personal agendas are starting to get in the way. I love how the All Blacks also wear the same coloured boots. You guessed it, black. Rather than having all the different fluorescent yellows and oranges to make each individual stand out, great teams don't care who gets the limelight. They pride themselves on delivering excellence together. I asked Kieran to describe what it feels like to play in a high-performing team, and his story's a cracker. Ah, oh, man, a high-performing team, you know, is a team that's cohesive, it's, it's um, in unison, um, and when you watch it, they're, they're in time. Um, you know, for me, there's timing. Um, so to get timing, everyone knows their role. Um, if I think back to some times in the All Black jersey when I've seen this, um, it's when we've been put under pressure. So 2013, um, the last game of the season, we're playing Ireland. Um, we've been unbeaten, looking to be the first team to go unbeaten in a calendar year, professional rugby. And, you know, we're behind getting smashed at half time. And literally at 80th minute, we've got to go 70 metres um, to score a try to, to try and win this game. And um, the key was that we believed in each other and, then, and we just did what All Blacks do. Um, we finally you know, realised in that game that, hey, let's just go back to our strengths, doing your role and doing it really, really well. Um, and so everyone just did their role. Like, so in rugby, a, a ball carry is important, but the guys who are cleaning out, the guys doing the unseen work um, off the ball to create opportunities. And we slowly worked our way up this field. You know, we went about 15 phases, um, you know, clicking into about 83rd minute. Um, and we finally score in the corner. And the fact was that you be selfless in those moments and you just nail what you need to nail. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I see in high performing teams. It's um, in unison, everyone nailing their role and you've got timing. Um, you can kind of see it when, when it's happening. I love that comment. We did what all blacks do. So he obviously thinks it's part of their identity. They go back to their strengths. They go back to those brilliant basics on and off the ball. They were patient with belief and that can make the difference. Then they build that momentum and the pressure eventually makes the opposition crack and the opportunity presents itself to school. The idea of timing is an interesting one too. When we think, train and solve problems together, teams create a shared mental model or a sixth sense of what's going to happen next. I wondered what role the hacker played in this. Kieran was right at the front of this intimidating war dance. And I wondered if the synchronicity of their leg slapping and foot stomping, as well as having that spiritual meaning, was actually reinforcing that sense of togetherness and timing that they would need on the pitch. Yeah, to, to lead the hakor be at the front of the knee hall, which is, um, you know, it's a very powerful um, shape in Māori culture. It's a shark's tooth and it's um, all pointed in the same direction. Um, so to be at the front is just, it's an amazing experience, um, but performing the haka in itself is, to me, it's grounding. It's uh, the reason we do it, it's to connect with, the people who've gone before us, it's to connect with the ancestors, it's connecting through the ground, it's um, important to connect to the guy over side of you. You know, we do a lot of history and we do a lot of work on the haka. We don't pay lip service to it now. It's it's a big part of who we are as New Zealanders. Um, and so when you perform it, you want to perform it to the best of your ability. 
Um, and I think we're seeing that now in, in the way the team's doing it, which is, which is amazing. And to lead it, um, it's goosebumps. It's kind of that mana. You know, we talk about mana, which is having respect and um, real heart. Um, and so, yeah, to be able to do that is, um, you know, it's a really special time. Most people just think the hacker is acted out to intimidate the opposition. But as we can hear, it's got much deeper roots. One of the cultural aspects I love about the All Blacks is the spiritual philosophy of Whakapapa, which Kieran now explains. Yeah, so Whakapapa is really, it's, a, it's, you know, it's belonging, it's, it's whanau, it's, it's us as a family, you know. So, um, you know, the All Blacks have this massive tradition and legacy and the case for us, every time when you're in that jersey, you're there for a really finite moment. It's a really small moment for across the whole the whole legacy and so um, you come in um, and you realize the importance of it and you realize hey i've got this one chance and it was um steve hansen always said you know what story do you want your time here to be be told you know like what is that story going to look like um and a case of the other thing is filling the jersey um the jersey doesn't fill itself you're the one who fills it um, so those things there, it's, it's all about connecting to who we are and that whole purpose and the whole um, understanding who we are is, is a strength in, in any team. Um, and for us as All Blacks, it is the thing that um, unites us. It's the thing that grounds us. It's the thing that when we do our haka, it's, it's what we're looking for. We're not imparting on the opposition. We're grounding ourselves with our ancestors, with those All Blacks who have been before us. As, as well as the guy either side of me. So, um, yeah, it's, it's got a huge part um, in um, our team. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something to be really proud of. And, you know, um, I think for us, it's, yeah, it's a huge part of our success. So the All Blacks believe that they're all connected through this lineage and legacy to their ancestors in an unbroken chain of people. I first learnt about this philosophy from Owen Eastwood and James Kerr, and it's resonated with me ever since. So with this unbroken chain from the dawn of time to the end of eternity, the sun rose at the dawn of time and slowly comes down the line, putting everyone in the light for a short period. The All Blacks have this purpose, which is bigger than winning, and that's to leave the shirt in a better place than they found it. The hacker is them summonsing the strength and wisdom from their ancestors and feeling that connection to the past. That gives them the energy and the courage to go into battle and add more stories to the number eight or the number nine shirt, which will in turn fall into the shadows and then will be left behind with the stories and the impact that those players have had on the team and on the fans as they pass through the timeline. In a world where we celebrate overnight celebrity and solo stars, the All Blacks culture of selfless characters striving to raise the standards for the next generation, I think is so inspirational. In one of Kieran's other insights in the platform, he explains that the debutants into the All Blacks get an emotionally charged induction, hearing stories from the past battles and successes, and then they're given a black book half of which is full of the legends of the past and the other half is completely empty because now it's your turn to write the next chapter. 
I just want to say a massive thank you to Kieran for his generosity and wisdom. I know our clients are going to absolutely love using his digital content in their meetings in the months ahead. And I can't wait to watch the All Blacks play against England this week, especially that thunderous hacker. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Remember to click the link in the show notes and join me for that January get together where I can showcase some of our insights and answer any of your questions to make sure you get off to a great start with the winning mindset in 2023. That'll be brilliant to see you. So do click on the link and please share this episode with any of your mates who love leadership or rugby. Uh, The more people that can get to hear Kieran's insights, the better. And if you need any support, please just give me a shout at hello at sportingedge.com. And until next time, let's make sure we make the most of our time in the sunlight. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.